This is The Insecurity Project. If you are looking to solve the insecurity problem in your life, rather than just manage it, mask it or medicate it, you have come to the right place. This is the home of high-quality content and conversations about how to overcome insecurity. If you can do that, it's not just good for you, it's not just good for your friends and family, it's good for the world, so it's kind of important. There's some work to do here, but let's go do this work together. Now on to today's show. Well, hello folks, you're on the Insecurity Project again. I had the great pleasure of interviewing Trish Marks. Uh, She's a business coach who focuses specifically on helping people overcome self-sabotage, which uh, happens a lot. It's a very necessary work. Um, Trish, thanks so much for being on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Jermaine. Um, It's lovely to be here and uh, I'm really honoured that you've asked me to be part of this because it's very close to my heart. Yeah, great. Well, I'm really, you know, we've spoken a bit about uh, your story and the journey you've you've been on. Um, I'm really excited to be able to share that with the audience. So why don't we dive into the the beginning and and tell us a bit about where it all began for you. Talk to us about what it was like specifically growing up in your family and the role your parents played in shaping your early beliefs about yourself. Well, um, where I came from uh, was a small town in Northern Ireland and there wasn't really a lot of conversation around the importance of self-esteem or self-confidence or belief in yourself. It was that era where um, there was just get on with it. Mm -hmm. So you just picked up on uh, the negative or positive attitude of your parents your teachers, the social environment that you lived in, uh, about or towards you, what what they were like towards you, or even what they were like towards themselves. So you started developing your beliefs around that, and your your own values. And there was just that underlying belief too um, that people in authority knew what was best for you more than you did, hmm. and. You know, that old saying where, um, and today it still irks me, that saying where children should be seen and not heard. Sure. Because I discovered, yeah, I discovered later on in life what beliefs I had picked up about myself based on that one statement. (laughs) Yeah. You know, honestly, they showed up in so many different ways. Uh, I mean, it's so fascinating when you start to explore the agreements and opinions you form, you know, based on those experiences as a child, such formative years. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. So you kind of grew up uh, feeling children should be seen, not heard. People in authority know what's best. You just get on with things. You don't really fuss too much around how you feel, what you want to do. Uh, you just you just do your best. So uh, how did that how did that kind of shape you as a as a young girl and, and as you grew into a woman uh, and and kind of launched out into the world? Tell us about the early years of what you did for work and and how you kind of experienced life with some of those beliefs instilled as a child. Well, um, as you were growing up, then you started to feel like. Um, what you had to say didn't really matter. Mm. So then you didn't really matter. So you weren't really 
because it's you, you need to be to be heard to be seen in my I, my uh, you know I'm thinking you need to be heard to be seen because how do you know what I'm thinking how do you know what um what sensitive to me what things mean to me or what I'm picking up how do you know who I am if you don't hear what I have to say and so therefore that made me feel like what I had to say wasn't matter that I didn't really matter so moving through life I never uh, really stood up for myself I always had the little teeny belief inside me that there was more but I didn't say out loud what I really thought because I believed it would ostracize myself from everybody else and um that I was the only one thinking like this, obviously. It probably was, and everybody goes through this. But, yeah, I didn't want to be lift my head too high above everybody else in case I was ripped down, because that would be painful to be um, picked out of the group. So you did. You, you became part of the herd very quickly. Hmm. Yeah, wow. Well, yeah. Um, uh, it's so interesting, and I'm sure lots of people can relate to that, their own version of that. Uh, so what did you do for work early on? How, what, what path did you choose? Did you go where you wanted to or where someone told you you should go? Where someone told me I should <laughs> go. And so in, uh, in the, um, growing up in the 70s, the late 70s in, in Ireland, we had the troubles, you know, so they were right. And so uh, there was not a lot of opportunity. Uh, and I know in my life it hindered me from stepping out of, who I could have been in terms of my education. I kept my mouth shut. I didn't ask the questions. It would have expanded my thinking or give me more information. So I did, uh, it was detrimental to my education, I believe. My inability to stand up for myself and say what I wanted to say. And so you ended up going into factory work. So I thought, well, that's not really what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I knew that um, in the 80s, when the troubles were really heightened, I had to get out of that country because I would never, ever grow if I didn't. Mm. So I decided then uh, in the late 80s that I would come to Australia. It was my only um, hope of actually getting to know who I was, finding out what my strengths were mm. and how I could manage on my own. And Australia was far enough away for me um, so that I wouldn't be able to go back, like, if it got too much. Okay, yeah, right. You know, so I had that to. Was, you, were, yeah. you were burning the bridge behind you. And yes, I had to. You have to. You'd, sometimes you just have to burn that bridge and say, this this decision is best for me now, and I'm not leaving anything open. If I uh, want to go back, it's not going to happen. So, you know, yeah. I, I, I mean, obviously, that's a massive decision because that's a decision that takes you away from everything you've known, everyone you've known, everyone who knows you, friends, family. Like, can you talk us through, you know, what was happening inside you when you made that decision to leave your homeland and travel down under uh, for good? Well, yeah. Well, look, I, I decided that I wanted to, I knew it was the best thing for me. I knew it was the best thing for me and I couldn't allow myself to let myself talk, self-talk, think anything else or I would have given in because my mom, I was very close to my mom, my brothers, 
we had a lot of fun in our family. There's a big sense of humor in, in the family. So my sisters were all married with their children. So I was always there for them. I had friends. Um, I could have stayed in that comfortable zone, but it wasn't going to um, help me. It was going to hinder me more. And I knew it was best for me and best for everybody uh, around me if I went. Because at least then I could start um, changing some of the thinking that I thought was keeping everybody small. Sure. Or in, sure. In did, you, did you tell your parents that's what you were going to do in your family? Or did you, was it a surprise for them? Yeah, no. No, I knew. Look, there was a lot of people from my hometown had come to Australia. Okay. And um, my brother had uh, decided to go. And he went uh, earlier on. And I thought, look, I'm going. Uh, my girlfriend, I'd said to her girlfriend, and she said, yeah, let's do it. And But however, she fell in love and fell off the truck. <laughs> however, I, even though I was terrified um, about doing it inside, um, the, you know, I was gripped with fear, but I thought, I can't let fear stop me. I can't let it stop me because this is what I really, really want. And if you really want something, fear is going to always be there. But you just got to embrace it and know that it's just unknown. So I was terrified. I was terrified going. However, it was what I needed to do to, to grow. I knew that I was meant to grow more i knew i was meant for more and um i wasn't going to get it met there in ireland mm, much okay. as i loved it yeah sure my family I, mm. Mm, well I wasn't going to get it met. um okay cool so then what happened when you came to australia paint paint the picture of what happened next well i just fell in love with australia and my i felt in my heart as soon as i arrived that i um that i was at home mm. and and i knew then that I'd made the right decision. And once I knew I'd made the right decision on myself, I knew how I could manage whatever happened to me, even though there was always that conflict in me of being that person who didn't um, say anything or want to speak out or want to be, you know, seen as someone who had a voice um, that mattered. I... There was, there was that person, that person, and then the other person that really wanted to take the world on and wanted to change. So I was always in conflict. And so the voice in their head was always telling me one thing, you're not going to make it, it's not going to be, you know, who do you think you are? Which mm -hmm. you hear a lot when you're growing up. Who do you think you are? Why would anybody, you know? And then that other voice said, no, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. So I just listened to that. And this had an impact on some of my behavior, but once you get started, it, you know, it started to, I started to build my confidence little by little by minimizing that little voice and, and, and focusing on, on that part of me. Um, because I knew that that little voice was just my own negative experience as a, ch uh, in my, the environment I'd previously been in. And I was just, it was a universal belief now in my world. And I had always argue with it, you mm. know, because you don't know the difference. Like it was something that I read one time that it said that you're the critical voice inside of you is really not your core conscience. 
but you, you you're led to believe that's who you are when you're when yeah. you're living yeah. in such small thinking yeah that's so interesting the the opinions and stories you kind of become accustomed to they they become your identity i had someone recently tell me they had a real aversion to selling and they said they just didn't like didn't like making sales calls and didn't like kind of putting themselves out there and they finished by saying that's just who i am you know i it's just who i am i like how do you know that's who you are well it's how i've always been is it though like is it really or is it just a story you've grown accustomed to uh, have you just identified with those limiting opinions and stories and that's taken on, you've taken on that form, but is it really who you are? So yeah, it's, it's fascinating that you say that. Yeah, that's so true because when, uh, when I uh, talk to my brothers and uh, at home and friends and, and they tell me something that happened to them and they say, Oh, well, that's just who I am. <laughs> and I think to myself, well, there go I with the grace of God, really, when you think of it, yeah. because that's not who you are. And so when I say, well, that's not really who you are, that's who you think you are, uh, based on my own experience, because I thought I was someone yeah. who didn't have a voice that didn't matter. Yeah. And through um, exercising my own self-belief and building on that, I changed that thought pattern. Hmm. Yeah, well, how... I just made the other voice louder. Hmm. How old were you when you moved to Australia? Oh, look, I was 26. That's not young these days. Those days, maybe because uh, it was a different environment you lived in and um, really nobody, unless you moved away from home, you didn't really move out of home. You only moved out of home in those days when they married. So, um, yeah, 26. Uh, But really, at at the same time, I was 26. But when I think about it um, now, I might have been that in age, but uh, in thinking, I probably was um, a much smaller thinker because mm. of um, the environment you grew up in. Everything was sort of dictated to your condition to think this way. So you didn't really see yourself as an adult because everybody else was always making decisions for you. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, so coming to Australia, obviously, big courageous move, and you knew you had to listen to a voice that was telling you you had to change and break free from that. Um, I imagine you still found some some challenges when you got here, though, and it didn't all just open up for you and, and everything was fine. And did you still feel limited by some of those small thinking oh, stories of your childhood? Yeah. yeah, absolutely limited because what I noticed was that I, um, I went into um, environments that I was sure about like so when the first role that i took on even though that in itself was um there was a fight going on in my head about pushing myself to go out there and look for another role look for a job and um so i got a job in hospitality so you were meeting lots of different people and and so i'd listen a lot to um uh people conversations and and i would watch and I would see people that I would, I would listen to how I perceived them in my head, what I was saying to myself about what I was thinking about that person and what they were achieving. And, um, and then I noticed um, my own patterns of, of thinking were really, really limiting me 
from standing up and um, saying what I thought, um, standing up knowing that I had the ability to do something or take on a role that would, that would give me um, a bit more um, accountability and a bit more income really and um, more of a leadership role. I knew I had it in me. Mm. But I was preventing myself because of the beliefs I had about myself. I thought, why do they think, you know, I don't have any experience. But I just knew that I took the courage. I had courage. I had courage. I knew I had courage. And I knew that I could learn and pick things up very quickly. Uh, but how did I tell people that when I couldn't language it? Mm, yeah. Because of my limiting language in, in, in the beliefs that I had around my self-esteem and, and my self-value okay so uh like i'm always fascinated by the belief change more than the behavior change because i think that's really where transformation happens so can you give us some insights around how you did that work around tackling some of those beliefs that you knew were holding you back from what you felt you were capable of but how did you start changing the scripts and the thoughts and, and opinions you had of yourself well, I started reading um, more and I started, I started off with Louise Hayes, really, mm. you know, self-love. And so I started questioning myself about um, why I believed what I did. And I could see clearly why I believed what I did. And um, there was still that fire within me, even though when I started looking back, I thought there's still, there was a fire in me about questioning things though I never um, had the courage to say it out loud. So I was always questioning it inside. So then what I'd done was I started to write. I started to write things down and I started to notice and I thought, well, what if I'd done it this way? And you know what happened was somebody had said to me, um, and it didn't take, it didn't mean anything to me then, but someone had said to me one time about um, life 95% of life is on the job training. Okay. Right. So there I was in Australia and everything was new to me. Everything was new to me. And I thought, um, and so I was asked to do something at work. I was write a little article in a, in a magazine, a work magazine they had. And I, and I started talking myself out of it. I wanted to do it because I knew I could do it, but I started talking myself out of it. So then um, that line popped into my head and it stopped me thinking for a minute. And I thought, well, what if I am in training now? What would I be saying to myself? Mm. Would I be saying, you can't do this? You're, you're uh, no good at this. Why would they listen to you? You know, you go on that, when the fear uh, grips you, you just go on that cycle of, of reactionary thoughts so it starts off with i need to get this right and you end up thinking i'm never going to speak again to anyone in my life i'm too scared to no you do you end up like that so i thought what if i was in training i would be saying to my I would, my mind would be more open mm, definitely so i thought okay so hang on to that so what i done was i used that line to myself and i thought every time i um felt that fear taking over and that voice getting louder of me not being good enough and not being able to do it, I'd ask myself, well, what would you do if you were in training? Mm. Why don't you look at it like that? You're in training now, Trish. You're in a new world. You're in a new environment. It's a new story you're telling. What if you were in training? 
So I started to look at my life like that. And I started to be able then to be more empowered about facing and actually the um, self-belief that I had, the limiting self-belief I had, and breaking it down and saying to myself, okay, now I am in control of this. This is how I'm going to write this. This is how I'm going to see that. And I started developing that. And so my confidence started to build. Just mm -hmm. little by little, I built my confidence. Little challenges I'd set myself, um, which really built my confidence. Really, yeah. Amazing. Um, one of the, the key parts of the model that I developed around overcoming insecurity is um, you know, this idea of responsibility and the, the key aspect of that responsibility is seeing yourself as the storyteller rather than the actor in the story. And so I think, you know, that's exactly what you're describing. You're realizing, hang on a minute, these, these languaging patterns that I've inherited and adopted um, and assumed were just given to me, I, I could change them. I could write new yeah. ones. I could improve them. I could update them. And as you did, they then produce different results and you notice that generating momentum and confidence and that leads to more and more. So yeah, that's, that's a really fantastic example. Yeah. And that's very empowering when you, when you learn to uh, over that you're in control to a certain extent that it's you that's writing the story. So yeah. that led me to different opportunities where I'd take them up just because I knew I'd be uncomfortable or outside my comfort zone, but I knew, um, I had a resource or a tool in my toolbox, in my mind, even though it was that small, what way are you looking at this? Flip it and look what, how, if you were being trained, how would you look at this? What would you be looking for to help you get the outcome you want in this? Hmm. And that was really powerful in my world and so i went on to um i fell into sales role at the first time and i loved that i loved the sales roles and so i went on to do sales until um until uh, i decided then in 2012 that i wanted to um i was tired of the deadlines and the all of that so i thought i need to i needed change here but i liked the idea of like i broke down the sales process if i happen to breaking things down um, and seeing how they work. So I broke that down and I thought, what is it that I really specifically like about sales? And it was the element of helping people, whatever the product was that I was selling, mm. it made a difference to that person's world yeah, sure. or their yeah. job or whatever. And I thought, that's what I like. I like the fact that I can make a difference. And that's where um, I, that led me to coaching. The fact that I wanted to make that difference. And I knew that was always in me because I wanted to make a difference in my world so much that I decided to leave my family and friends and come to another country. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. I, I always think you make the biggest difference in the world out of the overflow of your own experience and, and you show yes. people it's possible because you live it first. So it's, it's very profound. Um, what else did you learn along the way? Any other key insights that would be useful to well, share? <clears throat> then I was diagnosed with cancer in uh, 2017, late 2017. Oh, wow. Now, look, I, yeah, I, um, I went through, um, through a very strange period. Physically, I managed it extremely well. 
Um, but it was a very uncertain time for me and in that I didn't know what could happen or what would happen. But, and I went on after everything was over, the emotional impact of it just imploded in me because I suppressed them when I was diagnosed. But I went on to that reactionary thought pattern again. And it was really destructive. So it talked me into not wanting to do anything. I let them talk me into wanting to hide. And so then everything was magnified, all the, the, the insecurities that I had to just hide there, you know? So I kept myself very small until um, my husband said something to me one day and, and he was there for me and smiled at me, realizing how much I matter. And I stopped realizing how much I, I mattered so much to him, I could matter to myself. Mm. And that was really critical to my own existence. And it was like, stop thinking that. And, and I knew I'd fallen back because of the fear, I had fallen back into that default position of just letting the world make my decisions for me again. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting where I've ended up going back to. And, um, and that sense of, of control was gone. So I had to start realizing first and foremost that I had to get out of my own way again. Because I was allowing myself to, to be driven by this negative limiting belief about myself again. Oh, look, you know, I'm not grateful that I'm alive. I didn't feel grateful that I was alive because I was struggling. And, and I started blaming myself again. So I started talking myself into the ground hmm. because I felt I should have been this or I should have been that. And I thought, all right, this is where you're going again. But it took me at least uh, 18 months to figure that out. Yeah, well. And so then when I started doing that again, I had to, um, I, because of the training that I had done previously, I was looking for the answers in my head, but they were in my heart hmm. because I was going back, because I had my head was full of all these thoughts and, and reactionary thoughts really that were, were keeping me down. But I had to go back into the heart again and think, okay, who are you again? What's important to you? Mm. And, um, and, and once I connected with that, I started to see what I could do to lower the voice in my head. I was just in an environment of uncertainty and I had to look for things that give me a feeling of certainty in my world again so that I could get stable enough to be able to handle the uncertainty because I'd lost trust in myself. Yeah, wow. Hmm. And, and that was like, again, that was just using those, uh, those techniques or those resources that I'd built up over the years. What do I need to do? I need to build little challenges for myself on a daily basis to create that feeling of success and to build certainty around me again. Because I noticed even um, what I noticed was that I knew I went back to what I was telling myself and how I was sabotaging myself. Um, 
because I noticed in clients whenever they come, whenever I was dealing with clients, if they were lacking in confidence somewhere in their life, or if they had confidence in an area in their life, self trust was always very high, mm-hmm. and so they would come across as certain, and so their their inner uh, chatter would be positive. Sure. But if I looked at an area in their life where they were uncertain and their confidence was low, their self-trust was very low. So mm-hmm. then they'd be coming across as uncertain and that would just lead to um, a, a, a cycle of thoughts that, that confirmed that for them. Mm-hmm. So I was very aware that what cycle I was on and how I had to move off that cycle. And that was just one step at a time. Start developing little rituals for yourself rituals routines and challenges and you know commit consistency and you'll be able to see you'll get the clarity and i always believe that if you commit to something so i committed to myself to be able to just it was all about me commit to yourself what do you need to do today um that'll make you feel better commit to doing one thing a day that makes you feel better be consistent with that and you'll get clear on where you're going again. Because I couldn't see where I was going because the, the, um, the small talk, the critical talk, the self-sabotage was limiting my view of where um, I wanted to go. It was just keeping me stuck in this cycle of um, self-critical, self, just being stuck really. And that's what I started to realize. And so that's why I started to look at self-sabotage as something that was really impacting people from moving forward. Can I, just before you, you go on to that, Trish, just to pick up on what you said around the certainty piece <clears throat> and draw that out because I think that that is profound. Um, you know, we were talking before about some of the books and you know, yes. the shelf behind and uh, Spiral Dynamics is a particularly favourite framework of mine. I, I had Monica Bourgeau on the show uh, a few months ago she wrote a book called the change code um she got to spend time with dr cowan um, and uh you know really deep dive into claire graves's work around that but but she was talking about the fact that um, in moments of uncertainty uh, often when we can't see what's certain we regress back to past forms of certainty to solve that problem so where there's been past limiting beliefs and past negative trains of thought that are familiar to us, um, they come back because we need certainty some way or other. You know, Anthony Robbins' mm-hmm. six core needs says certainty. We're going to find certainty yeah. one way or another. If it's not a high-quality way, it'll be a low-quality way. So the challenge, as you've really described, is to go, okay, when, when your world throws uncertainty at you, if you don't find new forms of internal certainty, uh, then you'll go back to old forms of internal certainty, which probably mm-hmm. won't be serving you that well. So such a great mm-hmm. challenge and a useful pattern. Like, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we all imagine our lives are complicated and unique, but these patterns show up for all of us. We go through periods where we're unsettled, the world changes on us, throws something our way that's difficult or unexpected, throws us into chaos. Um so yeah, thank you for that distinction. That's that's really cool and um, amazing to see you did that work. So yeah, tell tell us more about the self sabotage piece. 
And so um, I realized that, um, well, I realized then that self-sabotage is something that holds a lot of people back. And we don't even know that we're doing it because um, the, I noticed that the more I was telling myself that I just wanted to hide, the more it became a habit in my behaviors. Mm. And I thought, this is really big here. I believed um, uh, that when I was diagnosed with cancer and what I'd gone through was another level of growth for me. I believed it was another level of growth. So there was no way in, uh, that I wanted to go back into the old world again. I wanted to find out what it was I um, had within me that was going to take me to another level of, of growth. Because I felt that that was my lesson in life. And, and that everything that I was faced with was the old me again. And um, I had to take from it and think, okay, what do you need here? help you move on to another level and teach what you really want people to hear what what's the message you want to give to people because i knew prior i was working with different people and i was getting um lots of information but i just didn't feel that i was going where i wanted to go there was always that um unease in what i was doing it, it wasn't uh, connecting with me so i felt that people really need to they're True potential is never met because of what we tell ourselves. And what if we didn't tell ourselves that story? Mm. What if we were to just leave those things down and look at it from the perspective, you're on a training course now. What would you be looking for to create the picture and the knowledge you needed to be the best you could be in that position or in that relationship? Mm. Or in your life and so like according to Forbes magazine only 36% of people know what emotion they're feeling at any given time in the day so if we don't know what we're feeling we go into this cycle of uncertainty and reactionary thoughts and I think it's time that we started uh, help them uh, you know realizing what are you feeling how do we understand it and then let's manage it more effectively because i do believe that we're always going to feel um once we get out of our comfort zone there's going to be a, a little uncertainty because we're not sure if we're we're in so we're always going to feel that uncertainty or that insecure in situations but it's not really about getting rid of it because it'll never go it's about how do we manage it because do you want to live your life by default or design? I looked back and thought, I am living my life by default here. Yeah. I had just gone back. And so I want to live by design. So what can I, how can I help other people become aware of what they're saying to themselves? Because um, it's not what comes out of your mouth that can be detrimental to your success. It's what you're whispering to yourself. Yeah, that's so true. Um, okay, so you mentioned the Louise Hay book early on was a really important book to you. Have there been other books along the way that you found particularly useful in, in this line of thinking? Well, look, um, when I was doing, uh, look, I always find something in every book I read, okay. I always find something that shifts my thinking a little bit or changes my perspective on something. 
because I'm always looking for it. Mm-hmm. There's always got to be another way. That was something that, that um, was in me from a very early age. And I think one of the, the drivers in making me move, there has to be another way. Mm. There has to be another way. And um, so I like Dr. Joe Dispensia where he breaks down um, how we developed our beliefs and how um, at a certain age, we are just using the same patterns of emotion over and over again. Like we have over 3000 words to describe emotions, but the average person will use 12 emotions in the average, the same 12 emotions in the average week. That's not because we don't have that capacity. Yeah. It's because yeah. of our patterns of focus. And so once we become aware of this, then we can start to create the change. So I think it's about understanding. Um, well, I love understanding how we develop our thoughts, where they're taking us and breaking them down to uh, what the, what, what's the evidence of that? Where is the evidence that that's true? Yeah. Where is the evidence that's true? Um, Joe Dispenza, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. It's such a fantastic yeah. title. That's an amazing book, yeah. Even if you only read the title, you kind of yeah. get the fact that, hang on a minute, that's, what do you mean, Breaking the Habit mm-hmm. of Being Myself? But, yeah, that's it. That's the mm-hmm. whole process. The, the habits of being ourselves are often linked to negative self-limiting beliefs. Um, and there's, there's got to be another way. It's got to be another way to be ourselves than the limited way. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so where can people find you? Where do you where do you hang out online if people are interested around this this idea of overcoming self sabotage and are fascinated by your journey? Would like to know more about you and the work you do. Uh, where do you hang out? Um, well, my website um, is um, Mark's Consultancy. So it's www.marksconsultancy.com.au. Um, Facebook Trish Marks. And uh, Instagram, Trish.Marks. So, yeah, you'll find me in it. Look on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn. You can always uh, book a five-minute chat on my website. You know, that's five-minute chat if you want to hear more about it. Yeah, okay, Uh, wonderful. Is there anything we've missed? Is there anything, any final thoughts you'd like to add around this idea of, um, you know, overcoming insecurity in the form of limiting beliefs and negative narratives and um, freeing yourself to show up at your best. What, anything else you'd like to add to that story? Oh, I think what I learned is that external factors are always going to influence how we think, how we act and how we feel. But just to remember that we have the choice how we let them define us. Mm-hmm. and how we change it and just to help us uh, get clear on how we want to show up in the world. That's what I find. I had the choice yeah. to figure out how I wanted to show up in this world. Mm. And we all have that choice. It's yeah. not who we are. It's not yeah. the way we are. Yeah. It's we have the choice. And to remember that we have that choice. Mm. I think that's really important amazing yep uh great place to end the conversation trish thanks so much for your time thanks for sharing of your journey and the lessons you've learned i'm sure everyone will find that very useful um we'll leave it there thank you for having me you've been listening to the insecurity project 
The aim of the game is to show up to life unhindered by doubt, fear and insecurity so that you can be at your best where it matters most. Now, if you're ready to begin the work of becoming unhindered in your life, the Unhindered Short Course is an eight-part video series designed to help you do exactly that. And at only $99 for a limited time, it's an offer too good to refuse. For more information, go to theinsecurityproject.com.